I would like to propose a podcast in which lesbians from all over the world can listen to lesbian affairs, and that can include anything from flannel shirts to cats, cat litter, cat sitters, hot cat sitters, lesbian affairs itself, um, politics, radical lesbians, veganism, non-veganism, anything. Welcome to a lesbian affair. I've got 19 hours on the SIM card. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be one long night then. That's, uh, that's a long time. Hmm. Hello, hello. Welcome back to A Lesbian Affair. I'm Jess and uh, I'm delighted to have Hannah with me today. Hi, Hannah. How hey. are you doing? Hey, Jess. I'm okay. How are you? Good. Good. <laughs> I am just calculating the distance between me and the cup of tea and I'm realising it's a little bit far. So I haven't thought this through. But... You haven't at all. Uh, I think you need a closer side table or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I want to apologise to the audience. It's It's been a long time since, um, you know, an episode of A Lesbian Affair has been published. And I, yeah, I, I think life has its its way of just coming and boosts and transitions and flows and transmutations and yeah something has transmuted i'm not entirely sure what it is but i'm i'm, I'm really happy i'm here with you hannah and that you're joining me on my <laughs> return to the podcast so uh, i was completely honored and uh i have no idea why i'm here quite frankly but i'm going with it this is my whole thing at the moment <laughs> well i'm 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 just going to introduce a couple of ideas so hannah is a photographer um and when I first met her, she said, how old are you? What do you do for a living? And are you over your exit? <laughs> it wasn't quite that, you know, succinct, actually, or, or that much of an interrogation. But you did call it an interrogation. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. I just wanted to get to know you very quickly. It's like, come on, cut to the chase. Yeah. And, and, and now we're here. We're friends. And I'm going to ask you, how old are you? What do you do for a living? And are you over your exit? <laughs> oh, so, um. Really, I, well, I'm 41. I'm a photographer, as you've just said. And um, which ex? Yes. <laughs> um, if, if we're talking uh, wife ex, then, then yes, that's definitely transcended into uh, a very good friend. But um, yeah, we can talk about that. I don't know what you want to do. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's always nice to obviously talk to people from the community about their experiences. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because First of all, your profession is super interesting from, from many different levels, also the self-employment type of level. level. And um, representation is this thing where we can learn through the experiences of others and also be inspired by them. And I think there's something about being self-employed mm -hmm. that maybe isn't discussed often enough in circles of women. So that'd be interesting. Okay, okay. I know, I'm just pitching this to you, basically. You are basically throwing this at me now. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's one theory, let's do it. Um, but also, it's just about, you know, your life and, and where you started. And here you are, you know, what happened in between. Okay. What, between being born and being on your sofa right yeah. now? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, and then there is this thing around, you know, marriage, having children. Yeah. And then breaking up after a very long time of being married. I don't know how long was it yeah. in your case? It was 20 years. Wow, that's yeah. a long time. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. So essentially half my life with, with one person, um, which is apparently quite a rare thing. And yeah, it was just my life. I, I don't really see it any, in, in any particular way. It's just what happened. Mm. So where do we start? Okay. <laughs> well, that's totally up to you. I, um, yeah, no, I'm an open book. I'm happy to talk about everything. Well, how do you feel about just, just talking about 
I guess for most of us coming out and what it means to mm. be gay, I guess. Like how did you come out to yourself? How yeah, did you That's a good question. I um definitely uh I think it's quite a, a cliche story in a way of um knowing you're different but not quite having the words for it or the or the language or knowing why. And um and the turmoil that it causes in inside you when you you don't quite know the answers to that. I kind of always knew that I was gay, at least, or different. Um, had a couple of very fleeting boyfriends. But do you know what? There's something that, that's kind of really significant when you would rather watch TV than kiss the boy that you're with right now. So <laughs> that's probably quite a telling thing. Um, Just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I wonder what's on TV right now, huh? So, yeah, that, that was kind of a giveaway. Um, and then... Then I met a woman and kissed her for the first time and it was mind blowing. And it was like, ah, that's, that's quite the giveaway as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, life's just one big experience really. Um, I came out to my family who were fairly supportive. And I think back then it was a case of, it's probably just a phase, but you know what? I'll take that answer. If, if that's makes them more comfortable, then that's all good. And, um, yeah, it, uh, do you know, I kind of knew fairly young, I guess I was, 18, 19, um, when it sort of dawned on me. And I was very strategic with telling my friends in that I told the person who I knew couldn't keep a secret. <laughs> and I knew full well it would be spread within seconds. And so that was a really strategic move. Um, so coming out to my friends was quite simple. It was like one person, then everyone knows. Um, but actually, I've been super lucky in that uh, my family dealt with it the way they wanted to, which was kind of assuming it was a phase, but not ostracizing me in any way and my friends were the same to a degree it was like yeah that's fine you do you and this was you know this was uh, what a long time ago <laughs> and um it's amazing to see how different it is now that it's completely accepting um you can you can kind of be who you want fall in love with whoever you want and sleep with whoever you want and it's not as big a deal mm -hmm. um but I know a lot of people you know that I I've spoke to someone recently a friend who They lived, you know, more than half their life with with a man knowing that they were living a lie and then, you know, came out at a much older age. So I guess I'm lucky in that I was true to myself at a fairly young age. I, th I think it's definitely a strength to um, also risk it, you know. It's, it's not only luck, it's you You still kind of would have had to make make that step to kiss yeah, or be kissed yeah. for the first time. Yeah, that's you know? true. I guess I'm quite impulsive. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, that But, might be part of it. But no, I guess it, it sort of felt right. I think in a way it was on intuition as well. It was a case of this is, this feels right. This is what I want to do. I'm just going to go with the moment. And um, I can really relate to that now. I feel like I'm coming out again. It's kind of just go with the moment. It's like my new mantra. Well, what's feeling like you're coming out again now? Because I guess you have this 20 year relationship in between. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe, maybe it would be interesting to kind of like, Talk about that. 20 years of marriage, that's an achievement in my books. Yeah, like, yeah definitely. And, and it's interesting because I'm looking back on, on my relationship with my, uh, well, still wife. Um, and we, when, when we met, we, we got on incredibly well. We were kind of set up by a mutual friend um, and we got on well. We were both uh, in, in similar lines of, I wouldn't say work because we were at university, but we were studying similar areas like sort of visual arts. And we just were always a great team. 
And I think that might actually be the answer to the longevity. It was never about anything else, but we were very compatible. And so a big part that kept us together for a very long time was that we we went into business together and we ran our, our mm. photography studio. We still run together. And over time, we found a way to find out what each person's strength was and play to them which I think from a business point of view is what made our business thrive and is what, you know, continues to keep us in business, which is really hard to do nowadays as a self-employed person. We can get onto that later. But <laughs> yeah, it is definitely um, it's definitely a, a case of working out what, what skills you have. And for me, learning to be okay with those skills and actually learning to be okay with the stuff that I can't do. And that's that's quite hard. Um, so yeah, we, we, we had a relationship for uh, probably about four years and we travelled together, we had similar interests, and then we went into business together and bought our photography studio, put everything on the line, kind of remortgaged our first home, which we haven't been in for that long. We got a dog together, who actually only died this year, so that's really <laughs> impressive for a dog. <laughs> and yeah, you know, we, we started this business and we went through all the trials and tribulations of running a business, but also trying to have a relationship. But we were best friends, we worked well together, and we complimented each other. I think the the lead up to the to the breakup which happened this year was you know I think there's only so much that you can handle as as two people so we we kind of we work together we we have two kids together we we adopted two children and I think the thing that had to give when you spend so much time with each other was the more romantic side of the relationship and um, mm. so we 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 kind of realised that that's the thing that was missing and that's the thing that was lacking in our own personal fulfilment. Yeah, and I, I think you've really articulated something there that is probably a, a difficult experience for many people out there, which is this, I mean, in the lesbian community, we talk about lesbian bed death quite often. I would assume that alludes to romantic intimacy <laughs> levels. Um, but you're also talking about, you know, the journey of adopting two children. So if we were to look at that 20 year relationship, and I'm aware this is a big question, were you aware of sort of these stages that a relationship goes through as it matures? Because it's not many people who can actually say, well, th this is what it looks like to be in a relationship for 20 years, you know? Like, how did it feel in the beginning? What, what sort of waves did you go through? That's a really good question. And um, yeah, I can see them quite clearly, actually. So the beginning bit was definitely fun, lust, love, kind of when you're really into each other. And that was also third year of uni. So tie into that, loads of socialising, loads of fun. And then after uni, we, we travelled together. We took a gap year and we lived in Canada together. So wow. that was like the next phase, the travelling phase, the um, going into living together. But also, I guess when you're travelling in another country, you're not as committed in terms of buying a place together. The travelling years. Exactly, the travelling years. We have the steamy phase and we have the travelling years. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, then when we came back, then it was kind of the commitment years. It was the buying the first house, finding our first jobs. We worked in similar industries, so there was always that support of, I get what you're going through and, and vice versa, and helping each other out. Um, my wife went freelance and I had a skill set that could contribute with her line of work. And so I would help her and vice versa. So those were kind of like the, the finding your feet years. Then we started the business. And so I think that actually added to the longevity in that that was our sole focus. That was our mission. We were working together for a bigger cause, which was not just our financial security, but creating this, this business, this legacy in a way. So yeah, that, that was another focus and that was an intense focus. So we did that for, well, I mean, I've had my photography studio for 16 years. 
And I think once that stabilized, the next step was what else do we want in our relationship? That's probably when kids came into, into play. Now, because we always knew we wanted to adopt, we also knew that we wanted to parent 50-50. And a lot of the backlash from sort of like social services was who, who is going to be the primary caregiver? Who's going to be the mum? Who's going <laughs> to, who's going to be the one that the kid, you know, uh, attaches to. And that was actually a, a, um, a question from, from the first social worker that we spoke to. And we were both like, well, we both want to be mums. Wow. <laughs> Hello, this is how it works. And then we we eventually found uh, a different sort of council with, with social workers who were like, no, it, it can work the way you want it to work, that you can both parent 50-50. So we then took about three years to schedule our business in such a way that we could parent 50-50. And we split that by be, becoming, I became the sole kind of content creator and doing all the photography. And my wife became the person who would take care of like the sales and the admin side. And so once we were able to dissect the business into those two parts, it was a case of, okay, well, you can pick the kids up every other day and I can pick the kids up every other day and that way our business wouldn't suffer because we would just schedule it that whoever's appointment was most important at that time would would be that day does that make sense it does make sense but I I guess we're going to get into the experience of adopting children maybe even a bit but what I'm struck by is how sort of old-fashioned that idea is that there's going to be a primary caregiver and, and I guess traditionally that would have been the woman right so absolutely how 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 did you react to that when you heard that? It was, yeah, it was definitely a shock. And it was a case of really, is this, is this what, what we're dealing with? Is this how people are thinking? And it was a bit of a, um, it was a bit of a hit because you kind of thought, well, maybe we're not set up to be parents. Maybe we're not right. You know, it was that moment where you felt judged and that you weren't enough and that you were going to mess up this child or whatever it was. Um it, that was a really fleeting thought. And we were also really lucky in that a friend of ours uh, is trained as a professor in, in um, social work and has actually written books about attachments. <laughs> and so we contacted them and we were like, this is what they've said. And they were they were not at all surprised that that was the answer. But they did say it's a very outdated view. You, you know, the, the science behind it shows that that's not necessarily how kids attach to just one parent. And in, in fact, that's not necessarily a healthy thing. So... We did what we always did, which was we we took the answers and then we went and fact find and then we stuck two fingers up to it and did our own thing anyway. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> what happens next? So kids was a big hit. And that's when I think your sense of identity and your sense of relationship kind of gets put on the back burner because you have to put all your focus on the kids and also adopting kids. A, it's not an easy process to begin with and, and nor should it be. You know, these kids have been through enough. They should get you know, people who are really designed well to take care of them. But they they come with additional needs because they've been through a lot and, and you have to put everything that you have aside and make them the sole focus. And that takes its toll. That takes its toll on, on, on a person as an individual and your sort of self-identity, um, but also definitely on a relationship in terms of there was no time for us. There was no time for anything. Now, I think in our case... And, and and I should add, actually, at this point, that, that our breakup is completely amicable. In fact, to the point where we've realised that we've we've formed a beautiful friendship now and we are each other's best friends. And providing we can keep everything amicable, then that's that's lifelong, you know. And, and there's something really special about having a friend who knows you as well as you know yourself, you know, who's spent half their life with you. And, and so we're in a really good place at the moment. And we've continued to make sure that the kids are the sole focus, which is, you know, 
it's hard, but it's it's good and it's what they need, absolutely what they need. Um I've kind of forgotten your question. <laughs> no, you you you're flowing, which is exactly perfect. I guess I, I'm not sure if you're happy to share it, but the breakup itself, like how did that come about? Do you remember? Yeah, no, it's looking back, I think it was a long time coming. And I think tying in with kind of making kids the sole focus, you you do lose your sense of self, but you don't realize it's a really slow thing to happen. And then before you know it, you're, you're just doing the same thing every day. You're into the same routine and you realize that you've lost uh, a little bit of, of your spark, a little bit of your sense of self for me, especially. And, and I started to change a bit in that I, I've always put everyone else first. And so that's happened very very gradually. And I didn't even realize that it happened. I think at some point I must have done because I started almost becoming more proactive. Like I became, uh, got more into health and fitness and started taking care of myself a bit more. Um, I started reading more, I don't know, self-development books and wanting to be better at business and better, you know, uh, like I just in every aspect of my life. And I think that was another element that took away from my relationship. I, stopped putting my relationship as high and actually put myself a little bit higher. And so maybe at some point there was a transition where I realized that actually we didn't have a relationship anymore and I have to take care of myself a bit more, but it wasn't a conscious decision at all. And there was no big drama. There was no animosity. It was just something shifted. Um, the, the main catalyst to the, to the breakup, my, um, my ex went away on a holiday with a friend, you know, kind of had time of their life and, and had an epiphany of, I, I miss connection. I miss touch. I miss the fact that we don't communicate on a deep level anymore. Everything is around the business, the kids, life in general, schedules. You know, th those were our communicate forms of communicating. It was never anything, um, anything deeper. And initially, when she called me on it, I think I, I think she knew when I didn't have an answer to it. I think her, she wanted her response to be, "No, no, no, we're fine. We'll stay together." But it wasn't. It was a uh, I, I, I agree. I think there's something wrong. So we, we, we went through a little bit of a period. So this happened in October and we knew that Christmas was coming and with kids, you can't, you can't ruin Christmas. So we, 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 we can't do that. So we, we kept, uh, we kept up appearances throughout those last few months. And in January, what we decided to do was to, um, start living apart. So one week, one of us would move out to a flat that we were renting. And then the other week, the other person would move out. And so we would still keep the parenting 50-50, but um, it would just give us that headspace to kind of work out what we were doing. We also started couples counselling and we just kind of threw everything at it. But I think deep down, we kind of knew it was done at this point. What was couples counselling like, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, no, ask away. I think what was interesting is that <laughs> my ex proposed that we go to counselling for me <laughs> and it's me who needs the work. And we came out of counselling going, it's not just me and yeah. it's uh, I, I'm not the problem. Because I did think I was, I thought it was all on me actually and, and that there was the reason why this wasn't working is because I wasn't doing enough or being enough but those are my own things to work on. Such a on. shitty belief not being enough. I wonder where that comes from, honestly. Hannah. It's funny because we've had so many conversations around that. It's just, just, <laughs> just good. But um, yeah, and, and it, it was quite an empowering process in a way to kind of be like, there are good things about our relationship, really good things about us as people and our personalities, but then there are things that just don't work. It also came back down to, 
the fact that we we spent so much time together. You know, we work together, we live together, we raise kids together, we make a great team, but it kept coming back to we just weren't in a relationship. It's it's a lot of pressure to to do all these things. I'm just aware of how interlinked your life had been up until that point. Literally like business, children, partners. Absolutely. That's, that's a lot, yeah. And I think for me, the way the business had shifted is that because my ex became a bit more of the um, almost management side of the business from an admin point of view, uh, I lost my autonomy. So it would be a case of she would say, right, this is your schedule for next week. And then I need this, this and this delivered on this, this, this and this day. And I was like, I've lost all ability to be able to manage my own schedule. And so the things that I wanted to do or, you know, the, the joys of working for yourself should give you a little bit of time flexibility. And that was taken away because I was sort of hitting her deadlines. And so I think resentment built. And I think also if you are working with someone who is also your partner, you have a bad day at the office. You can't go home to a partner and say, I've had a bad day at the office. That that person, that support network is taken away because they are one and the same. And that's also the, probably a breakdown of a romantic relationship. And it's like, I really don't want to sleep with you right now because you pissed me off at work today. <laughs> God, quote of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, this, this theme of losing oneself is so pertinent. And I've heard that so many times this week in particular, people kind of saying, oh, you know, in that relationship, I felt like I was losing myself and that's why we're not together anymore and this and the other. And I'm sure I've said it at some point. How, what are we losing? How do we know we're losing something? Like, what is it? Yeah. Hannah, tell me. I, I don't know. <laughs> you think I've got the answers? I uh, hope so. <laughs> I think it was a case of, um, I think when you can, you become too codependent on someone, I think maybe you lose your identity or your... But what's codependence then? So I feel like we were really codependent in that I would check things before making decisions. And I think when you go in a long-term relationship, you almost, you want to do something, but you need to check it through someone else. And and then it feels like you're asking for permission. And then the longer that goes on, the more you feel trapped. And we've used this term in actually in an affectionate way of we were in a comfortable prism. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, my ex read it in a book and it was like, actually, that does feel really pertinent to our situation in that we were comfortable. Life was easy. I mean, my life is so much more hectic now, but, uh, it was, it was easy. It was comfortable. I was with someone I felt very relaxed with, but you also became a bit numb after a while. And I think I, I certainly noticed that I stopped enjoying things that I used to enjoy. I stopped getting those pleasures and those you don't get the lows but you also don't get those highs that you know of real excitement and real joy and life just gets quite mundane so we fell into a routine of of so many different things like we we had a great life and and since we've broken up I've, I've found myself sometimes almost like apologizing for my life or or justifying things but I, I don't regret a thing. Like I've had an amazing, amazing life. I've just also come to, I feel, a new chapter where I need to stand on my own two feet for a little bit and and make more of my own decisions and be my own person a bit more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the this is the dilemma of freedom in a sense. You you have a clean slate now, you mm. know, but you also don't because there's the untangling of a really entangled relationship. I think your solution around how you're doing the care for the kids with a rented flat and everything like that is, is super considerate and conscientious. And and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because I think it's, it's so unique. Um, and I have witnessed you apologizing for your 
life. Yeah. And I've, I've witnessed you kind of like come into the community as, as though you've been asleep for 20 years, kind of in awe of all the terminology and jargon. And I always want to say, Hannah, that's just cosmetics. That's just people kind of riffing off the status of knowing a lot of jargon and labels in a community that claims to suddenly not want labels anymore, ironically. Right. But, you know, the real experience that is very precious and rare is to have a 20 year relationship and to to even be able to recall all these stages and to have these experiences that I'm sure have come with individual lessons so yeah now I, I have had to ask you so many times what what does this mean it is and it is like coming out again it is kind of just just starting again and learning a new language the world's yeah. changed massively um in in terms of just just the, the the gay scene in general. I don't think you can even call it that anymore. No, it's called the queer scene now, apparently. Thank you. But See? I, I like the lesbian scene, personally. I'm not changing this the name of this podcast. I think lesbians deserve their label. They need to still have a little bit of a corner over there somewhere. Absolutely. And and, and I think I get asked about labels all the time and I'm like, I'm, I'm just Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, like everything has, has changed according to your, you know, time warp experience yeah, yeah, but yeah. has it really has love changed like the other day somebody said to me um oh you know i don't know what it's like with sexuality this that, and the other but you know if you're if you're obviously into women then it's that and if you're into men it's that i'm like it's just love yeah. at the end of the day it's it's not who i want to sleep with actually it's about who i fall in love with as if i had control over that um and sometimes i wonder if you've forgotten that amongst all these labels yeah yeah definitely and i, I think what i've struggled with with labels is that desire to fit in uh, or that need to fit in and and before i guess you were okay you can call me if i get this wrong lesbian gay bisexual is pretty much that simple you kind of fall yeah. into one of those camps and now there's you know a whole plethora of labels and, and different camps and, and flags don't forget the flags there flags everywhere the flags yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah thank you for that uh yeah there's so much that that is just out there now and, and i'm sure there's a lot of good things and i'm sure that's evolved for a reason but then i guess in my situation i was a bit like well, well who am i and what camp do i fall into and how do i get accepted because i don't know what my label is well i, I think it's divisive if that's your experience and that is my problem with it i think at the end of the day we shouldn't have to think which camp do I need to apply for or fall into, you know, mm. which group do I apply for and this and the other. It should just be a matter of this is my experience mm. and, and what's yours. Yeah, and absolutely. Maybe I'm simplifying things and I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with me over that. But that is why we had a hiatus for a <laughs> year. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, yeah, this was this was definitely sold as a conversation rather than anything else. <laughs> So um, we'll just go with conversing and not worry too much. No, for sure. Um, but I, I think also I, I don't like to overthink people's labels because I just want to get to know them. I just want to know the different facets of their personality. And I don't know when that became, well, if you do this, you fall into this camp or that camp or whatever. I just want to know different bits of people. Well, the thing that I still can't wrap my head around is, is when when I was in the community or more involved in the community, people used to say that queerness is the rejection of any label and that it's the opposite of heteronormativity. Anything that's not heteronormative is queer. And I thought, okay, that's pretty broad and I can see why you would want to reject labels. And wouldn't it be nice if I could just love whoever I want to love and not be discriminated for it? That's the beautiful side of it, right? Yeah, yeah. But then I realized that all these flags kept coming up and people <laughs> said, I'm demisexual, I'm this, I'm that, this and the other. I'm like, cool, cool. But if I need a university degree to understand what you are, then there's something <laughs> wrong with this. 
because we're not talking about class anymore, ironically. Yeah. What about that as yeah. a label? Absolutely. And ironically, all of these things are becoming a caste system of labels. Yeah. So um, I haven't figured out the solution to this and live and let live. But yeah, yeah. I'm just a lesbian. I don't know if it's your job to figure it out, but no, I don't you're taking it on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I, I don't think so. I think... What matters is is that people live safe and happy lives and that I don't interrupt them in that and that they don't interrupt me in that too much either. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I kind of simplify it with I'm just trying to live my life and not be an arsehole. Do more good than harm. <laughs> yeah. It's as spiritual as it gets today. That, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it's interesting because I feel like my, the life that I led was actually quite heteronormative it's just I did it with a woman, you know. We, we In which way is that heteronormative for starters? Okay, well, I guess the, okay, more conventional then. That's probably a better word for it. It was a case of we lived together, we got a house, we got a mortgage, and we just happened to run a business together. All of my friends are straight, you know, so I was surrounded by people who then go on to have children. Um, we always decided that we wanted to adopt rather than any other route. And, you know, we went on playdates with the kids. We took them to classes, you know, life just became, yeah, maybe heteronormative is the wrong word, but very conventional. And maybe that's what made it work. You know, it wasn't. I mean, here's a question. Did you like it? Did you want it that way? So it's interesting. I never wanted kids because I. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think that was my own issues of not being enough for them and that fear. Again. No, it's back, isn't it? <laughs> um, and that fear of letting them down, actually. And I think that was always like a big thing that I was carrying around. And I, I was kind of like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to let them down. And then also, I think there was an element of selfish element of I don't want to lose my sense of self because I know full well that I put everyone else first. So I'm definitely going to put my kids first mm -hmm. and therefore not be my own person. And to a degree it happened. And to a degree we've come out of it. Maybe I, although I wasn't the one to instigate it, I think maybe I'd put, I, I was the one to change. So almost put the wheels in motion for it to happen. It was like inevitable at that point. What changed? So I think I think starting to take care of myself a bit more was was kind of the change and putting myself first a bit more. And then after you do that and put the kids first and focus on your business and your career and, you know, go through the day to day things, there was just no room for a relationship anymore with that person anyway. Mm. And so we both wanted more. And since we've broken up, actually, I, I think we're both really enjoying just meeting new people and, and connecting on them on a different level, you know, and it, and that doesn't have to be romantic or sexual. It's just a case of you, you can have deep, profound conversations and meet people for the first time and find out about their lives. Because when you've been together 20 years, there's nothing else to learn. You kind of know everything about each other. Conversations dry out. <laughs> it's, it's funny, I've been thinking about this because um, I've, I've just gone through a separation myself. And the one thing I realized is that on the other end, because I'm still friends with my ex, is a whole new person that I didn't know. Right. And it, it made me think, hang on, was I just complacent? Did I just stop asking? Yeah. Did I stop asking those questions that you ask on a first date because yeah. I thought I knew everything? And, and we had this really profound conversation and I said, I don't know who you are. I don't know who this person is. And she started sort of tearing up and saying, I don't know who she is either. And then it said, well, I'm willing to get to know her. Yeah. And that was a really profound moment because it really recognized that underneath all these years of relationship, yeah. there had probably been two versions of ourselves that had been simmering and waiting to break out that, yeah. that were probably the catalysts of our breakup. Yeah. No, that, and, that, and that's a really, really good point. And I think there's also like almost a sadness that you stop showing an interest to find out yeah. those other sides of someone's personality. That's on me. 
But to a degree, the things I would have found out would have made us incompatible anyway. <laughs> Maybe you knew deep down, it's like, this is going to be the start of the end if I bring this one up. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's, it's right the way it is. And, and um, there, there was not going to be any other transition other than friendship after that. But it's okay. And it's interesting you say it's right the way it is, because I'm such a believer at the moment of things happen for a reason. You Ooh, meet the people you're destiny. supposed to meet. I know. And, and I've never been that person. I've always been a bit more sort of science based and I want evidence and a bit of a cynic, really, let's face it. And I'm just finding at the moment that things are happening for a reason. This was the right thing to happen at this point in our lives. And I am meeting people who I'm like, you were the right person to meet at that point in time. Which is sort of crazy because that's how we met. Exactly. I was going to say this scenario is perfect for that. (laughs) Did you believe in in things happen for a reason when we met or is that a new thing? Uh, This is a bit of a new thing because now I'm I'm getting things, I'm getting moments and instances that I'm piecing together and I'm like, okay, that that was absolutely supposed to happen because of the knock-on effect afterwards. Wow. Like, would you mind kind of going into I think I think actually us meeting is a really good one if you don't mind sharing yeah 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 (laughs) nice one (laughs) (laughs) you can share this one (laughs) Uh, let me just see how much I share of that um (laughs) okay so basically the way I remember it and please correct me if I'm wrong when we when we met um I was meant to meet some friends in, in a local area and um we usually have a usual hangout uh in a different sort of cafe or restaurant wine bar and at the time they had a private function on mm-hmm. and I arrived, I had just spontaneously texted them saying, Hey, do you want to hang out? This and the other, the place where we usually hang out was blocked off because of this private function. I'm literally being sort of like rebuffed at the door. And in my frustration, I walked to the next pub that I can see sort of like down the road. It's, it's a very familiar area. I've lived there for a long time. And I, uh, on that day decided to wear a t-shirt that was green that said something about you know glorious gayness let's just say that way um and it was not because I wanted to be extra gay it was just because I wanted to wear green that's all I remember (laughs) and I walk in and this woman greets me with a gay rainbow flag sort of saying are you here for the meetup I'm like well this is a private function too at this point I'm getting irritated (laughs) and I see the rainbow flag and I just flash my shirt and she's like oh I guess you are So I'm like, well, I can stay for 10 minutes. I, I'm supposed to meet friends and I'm just thinking how funny and serendipitous this is. Because similar to you, I've had a bit of a, I guess, spiritual awakening with this idea of destiny might be a thing. So yeah. let's just ride with the wave and Absolutely. see where synchronicities and things take you. And then I think you walk in within like the next few minutes yeah. and we're saying hi. And that's when I get interrogated by you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think my social awkwardness was just a case of, I don't want to talk, so I'm going <laughs> to interrogate you and just ask you all the questions so that you talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so you asked me how old I am, what I do for a living. Uh, and I guess if I'm over my ex at some point as well. <laughs> I don't know how the ex came up. You must have brought that up. because I think I'm I might not have sure said I I'm still married or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're meeting at this point in time where I'm separated. Mm. You are... Uh, I'm getting over breakup. Yeah. Call it a double breakup even. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um you're you're freshly separating or separated as well. And I think that's the only thing we sussed as a piece of information there. And mm. then my friends show up and that was it. Yeah. It was literally, if you think about it, the number of quote unquote coincidences it would have taken to meet. Yeah. Um for me to end up with the gays in a area of town where I would not ever expect yeah. a gay meetup. Yes. And and it's not an area t- uh, that I ever go to really. It's it's not yeah. kind of local to me. So yeah, it was 
in a time window of 10 minutes yeah part of me thinks that interrogation that you did was probably universe-led because yeah. we needed to get that information in quickly exactly i had to i had to interrogate you first <laughs> yeah. i had to get the answers to yeah. know yeah exactly <laughs> and then um i, I think it, it was quite funny because it went from there because we started talking about photography and stuff and you were yeah. you know in las vegas and other places and it yeah. was just really easy talking to you from there and 100 the beginning of a wonderful friendship yeah, so yeah. i really think the photography glad. thing came up actually in person i think that was another thing that was like very in response to the question of what do you do yes yeah and yes that was it because when I answered you kind of had a had a connection with that and <laughs> yeah we've, we've had photography chat as well so yeah it was just like you say a lot of things just felt like they were aligning and yeah. although I don't certainly at that point didn't necessarily believe in, in in fate or anything like that it was a lot of coincidences and and maybe on a simple level then it was just a case of you're a cool person I reckon we can hang out yeah, yeah for sure and if I know anything I'd than it is that I, I don't know anything. Mm. The more certain I am about something, the more, less I know. But even just for a minute, I've, I've noticed to see the world through the idea that destiny could be a thing as a philosophical concept is interesting because whenever something shit happens to me, rather than saying, oh, this is all on me, this is my lovely free will, this mm. is all my responsibility, I can say instead, hmm, if this were destiny, what am I meant to learn from this? And it feels somewhat more relieving and productive. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I totally believe in that. And actually, even since the breakup and the people that I've met and the connections that I've made and the different instances that have sort of happened, I'm now very much looking at it with a case of even the bad stuff. I'm like, why did that happen and what can I learn from it? And it's so much easier to deal with than that mentality of I'm a bad person. Bad things happen to me. You know, this is all woes me. It's, and I think we've had this conversation before where it's a case of, okay, that happened. There's nothing you can do about it. What, what can you learn from it? And it's a really interesting place to be. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm really looking forward to what's going to be next as part of that chapter. But just to be a little bit of a spoil sports and kind of like circle all the way back to what you're talking about in terms of adoption. I think there is something as a, as a nugget that I'd love to explore. Would that be okay? Mm. Like what was a like as a lesbian couple to go through the adoption process what hoops did yeah. you have to jump through like was there ever something that was just really strange or difficult or was it yeah. actually quite an empowering process so I've, I've done it twice um both my children are adopted and they were adopted at separate times from separate families a lot of people ask if they're from the same family but they're not um or birth family I should say so I think in terms of being a lesbian couple adopting, it, the, the biggest hurdle was the first one where the social worker was saying, which one of you is the child going to attach to? Crazy. <laughs> and it's like, well, ideally both of us, that's the plan. And, and you know, we did sort of emphasise that we're, we're working it so that we want to be, we both want to be mums and we both want to be there 50-50 and we both have different skill sets and qualities that we'll bring. And and we, we absolutely do. Um, so with my son... It was, we adopted at a really interesting time um, because in, there was quite a, a big public case where a social work, sorry, a, a judge had ruled in favour of a birth mother saying that her child had been um, put up for care unnecessarily and the judge agreed. So therefore every social worker had a knee-jerk reaction which was to stop putting adoption orders in when they should. Oh. So children were left in really horrible situations when they probably should have been taken from the birth families and put up for adoption. They weren't because their their jobs were on the line, their necks were on the line. It just became very political. 
Um, something that they did put in place instead was special guardianships, which meant that 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 child could be taken from their home situation, but then moved to another family member. And the problem with that is that actually you're not fixing the problem or removing the child from the situation. You're actually keeping them in it and it's sort of perpetual at that point. Um, Anyway, that aside, it meant that there weren't many children to adopt at that point in time that were up for adoption. A lot of them were within this special guardianship space or just remaining in their horrible situations because they weren't prepared to put them up for adoption. That's crazy if you think of the ripple effect that one single judge's decision absolutely. on the system. Absolutely. And it lasted for a while and they tried to find loopholes um, and, and ways around it. But really, uh, it was just a, a bad decision. Um, so it meant that there were very few children up for adoption and that they were incredibly sought after. Um, as a lesbian couple, we, we weren't faring too badly. The biggest thing we noticed was our age. So we were early 30s when we applied um, when we started the process and a lot of people and a lot of our peers were mid forties and beyond. Hmm. And actually that was more of the criteria that the social workers or they, they call them family finders, which are kind of the go-betweens between the children and the adopters. Um, that, that was one of the things that they were looking at. You know, if, if a parent is adopting a very young child, at a, at an older age in their life, they have those concerns about, you know, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to be fit and able enough? Um, health conditions was another big thing. Myself and my ex, we were both fit and healthy and really, you know, we had, we had quite a lot of childcare experience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up being quite good candidates for it. Um, and actually being in a same sex couple wasn't a big deal. We weren't, we weren't discriminated against in any way that we, we noticed other than that first interaction. Um, it was interesting what you're saying before about kind of, uh, I guess that fate and and believing in it because uh, we looked, we found our son and it's a really weird way of it. They they do it. So basically you have an A4 sheet of paper that has a picture of a child and their stats. And then that's how you. God, that sounds like a freaking dating profile. I don't, sorry, that's a horrible. It is like a dating app. And actually the time that they, um, they did it, they were trying out something new and it felt like a job fair where you go around different tables and you talk to social workers. Like a CV. Exactly. And they're representing that child. And so it was really weird. But my son, he was really sought after. He was super cute. He was really bubbly. He was funny. They'd recorded a video of him doing funny things. And so everyone wanted him. And I remember so vividly, we went over to the social worker and my ex and I, good cop, bad cop to her. So I was good cop, obviously. So she was going in with the, so the health conditions say this, this and this. And then I would turn around and say, you're clearly very busy today. I'm not sure how you're handling this so well, but, you know, we're really interested. And then my ex would go back to the facts and you should pick us because of this, this and this. And I'll be like, calm down, you know, relax, let the poor lady speak. Was that a natural thing or was that a bit of a sort of like... Does it feel like a tactic? No, it it was completely natural and I still do it it to this day. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, if ever I feel that my ex is rude to, uh, I don't know, someone who works in customer care, I'm straight in there with the, she didn't mean that. How are you doing? Is your day okay? <laughs> so yeah, I guess we fall into those roles a little bit. Um, but that tactic clearly worked because although we were probably fourth or fifth down the line, uh, the social worker remembered us. And um, when the uh, the other scenarios didn't continue on um they 
she remembered us and, and, and got in touch. And so, uh, yeah, I always say to my son how we fought for him. We chose him. Um, we pushed everyone aside to get to the front to kind of good cop, bad cop, this poor social worker. And we were destined to be together. And it's a nicer story to tell him than you were one of many. Lots of people could or couldn't have had you. And it was just coincidence that we ended up being together. And that's as nice a story for him to have. So over the years, I've, I've definitely become more fate might be a thing and people are meant to be together. When, when, you, when you're saying fate might be a thing and, and people are meant to be together, when you think of his son, was, was there something about him that just pulled you towards him? That connection, yeah, definitely. So he had a great personality, like really funny. And I found it funny. So therefore... You know, I was like, yeah, yeah we're, we're on a level. He looked a lot like my ex's brother when he was a child. So there was probably from her point of view that that familiarity from a physical point of view. Um, for me, I just thought his personality was brilliant. And actually, now that he is my son, personality wise, he and I are so similar. Mm. Um, he's very creative. He's very flaky like me, but he's, <laughs> he's super funny. And what is what I love about him so much is that he wakes up every single day optimistic and excited and he takes joy in such little things and he's so excited to show me like his drawings and and that enthusiasm is so infectious it's lovely to be around and so for that mm. reason I kind of just love being around him and I, I've learned a lot from him for that reason. And I, I've had the joy of seeing a family video that you compile <laughs> for the kids once a year. Yeah and it's, one it's each honestly, year. Yeah it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, my yeah. strategy is that they'll forget all the arguments and all the, uh, the, the bickering <laughs> and they'll just remember these beautifully edited, you know, family videos that just look like a, a montage of happy memories. Well, it's a, it's a good strategy. Yeah. It's a good strategy. <laughs> I encourage it. So, um, and, and then you got a second. So yeah, uh, about, about five years later, we yeah. got a second child. Um, and that process was really different. It, it was different because there were a lot more children available at that point. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but again, job fair. Literally, show <laughs> me your CV. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and okay, so in this case, going with the job fair, we were headhunted. <laughs> oh my god! And uh, the family finder picked us. Um, so, so let's just settle in for a second. There's a job out there that's called Family Finder. There is someone's job called a Family Finder and they are the go-between between between the two social workers. So you have an adopted social worker who represents you and usually like in in court and and panels and things. And then you have the child social worker and then the Family Finder is the person in between who basically does a lot of admin, but yeah, their job is to kind of find a family for the child. Interesting. Okay. Yep. So it's a thing. Um, so on that occasion, let's call it, we were headhunted. Um, we were, we were picked and again, it was just on, on, you get, you get given a sheet of paper, you get given a profile. And if you decide to proceed, you get given the full profile, which is everything that social services have on record as to what's happened to that child. And I think some people still have a very outdated view of adoption in that the child is left at outside of church and, you know, as a baby. And then that's how it happens. But actually nine times out of 10 children are taken from families because they are in conditions that they shouldn't be in. Again, I think some people sometimes have a view that that children are taken away unnecessarily. From my experience personally, I think they need to be removed from situations a lot earlier than they are because of the long-term trauma effects that happen to them. Yeah. That's one thing that I was struck by talking to you. You are so informed about 
psychology and and parenting and attachment theory and everything. It's like you've you've snorted self help books <laughs> really skillfully, and and I, I guess this this is sort of the thing that that I admire about you because not only did you decide to adopt, but you took it very seriously. Like the the level of attunement. And, and time you've put into this, by the sounds of it, is, is really remarkable. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe something that people are not aware of, of how much commitment yeah. there, there might be Yeah. in terms of also, you know, being able to ensure that there is an attunement to these sort of adverse conditions that some of these kids might have gone through. Absolutely. And I think it's a big learning curve. And I think a lot of people fall out of the process because of that. Um, for us, we we certainly did our due diligence beforehand and structured our business in a way that we were able to take time out so that we could be with the kids. You know, it was always, we knew, we knew quite early on the importance of having a primary caregivers and, and how that consistency is really important to them. Like calling on random friends and favors and, and babysitters does not work well for children with early life trauma because they just need consistency. So Part of it is is through adoption, you do get like training and you do get attachment attachment awareness and, and training around that. But for me, it was the extra stuff that I had to do because I think I, I think that fear of not being enough for my children was actually the catalyst to wanting to be as good as I could be. And so digesting books around um, brain development, around attachment awareness, around and then, and then actually it snowballed into sort of psych, psychology in general. And then it started a snowboarding for myself. It was like, okay, once you know a little bit, you start going, ah, oh, maybe I act this way because that happened to me. And, you know, mm. I find it fascinating. I really do. And it, and it became a bit of a hobby, <laughs> which is really sad, but there you go. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not very exciting, but um, it's, it was, I feel like it was the right thing to do. And, and I'm so glad that I did because I won't say I always get it right, but sometimes when I see my kids acting in a certain way, if I'm in the right frame of mind, which I'm not always, but if I am in the right frame of mind, I can take a step back and go, okay, this is happening because of this. You know, there is, there's always a, a meaning, there's a reason behind the behaviours. And I think if you can start getting your head round, they're not just pissing me off because they want to piss me off. They're actually crying out for something. They've got a need there. If you can get your head around that, then you can just tap into it a bit sooner. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I'm, I'm sat here thinking about a particularly lesbian or gay predicament, maybe, which is we can't have accidental children. Like it, it doesn't happen. It's not an accident whatsoever. And I have a friend who, or several friends actually, who used artificial insemination as their step into a journey with children. And that also starts with a CV type sort of like profile of a donor. And I'm just really kind of aware of how many times lesbians make life-changing decisions based on an A4 sheet of paper with bio data. Absolutely. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, it does, um, certainly in adoption terms, it's the tip of the iceberg. It, it gives you a, not even a skeletal structure. It just gives you a really loose outline. And then you have to do, you have to go on the journey and you have to put the puzzle pieces together yourself. And a big part with adoption is you have to accept that you're never going to know the whole puzzle at all. Mm. And I also, I'm very accepting that it's not my place to know that puzzle. I'm just a part of it. I'm, it's, it's my kid's journey. And I'm really um, cautious of who I talk to about them and who I, you know, let them in with a little bit of information about their past because it's their past. It's not mine. It's their story. Yeah. And I think if you, you have to be really respectful that actually this is their life, their journey. You're just... Just a bit of it. Yeah. Well, 
large part of it, I'm sure, still. <laughs> and I, I guess it's, it's such a personal question, but what led to you being aware that you wanted to adopt as opposed to all the other options that we have? Yeah. For me, it was just like inherent. I, I, I always felt that we can't get pregnant just accidentally or willingly or anything. It has to be a conscious choice. Mm. And therefore, I would much rather give a child who needs a home a home than any other method. Yeah, I'm the same. But a personal <laughs> choice. Exactly. And, and, and there's no right or wrong answer. There's the, and there's pros and cons to everything. But that was just my personal feeling. Yeah, no. no I, I mean, my personal feeling is no children, which is more complicating. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting here and, uh, as I said, I, my journey goes as far as I'm I'm not going to be a good mom. I'm not enough, ironically. <laughs> so I, I haven't <laughs> climbed that mountain just yet. And I don't think I ever will. I'm quite con content in not doing that. But, well, again, I, 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 I was in the same boat. I just happened to have a partner who's like, we're doing it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> In a sense, what's what's interesting is then once once you have made the decision you're going to have children, then you have all these options, and they can be paralyzing paralyzing in their own right. Yeah. So to to say I'm going to go for adoption yeah. is, is a separate journey, I guess. Yeah, and um, you know I didn't pursue any of the other options. I think there would have been a paralysis by analysis <laughs> if I had looked into all the different options. Yeah. I never had that urge to carry a child, and neither did my ex. Um, so. I feel just like adoption was was another route. And because I'd worked with a lot of children as a photographer, I kind of wasn't that fussed about the newborn baby phase. And I think that puts a lot of people off with adoption. Mm -hmm. um, quite often, regardless of the family situation, they will try and keep rehoming the child back to their birth family for like two years. So it's very rare to get a very, very young baby. And that puts some people off because they want a child almost from birth that they can feel like is their own, which is ludicrous because they are your own. They are completely your child. My my kids are completely my kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I quite liked the idea of an older child. And um, my son was nearly five, actually, when he came to us. And there was a bit of a phrase around the adoption world, which is too old at four, which is sickening because four-year-olds are babies, you know, they're so young. And quite often what would happen is if a child went much past four, At that point in time, I'm sure it's changed now, they were more looking at long-term fostering rather than adoption. And I guess with long-term fostering, there might be an element of they don't feel like they have a family they're completely connected to, whilst with adoption, they're, they're completely ours. And, mm. you know, we've always maintained the kids that we were meant to be together. We just had a different start and this is how we've ended up together. So your son and your daughter, how, do they get on? Like, What's the sibling <laughs> relationship like? They sometimes get on, sometimes. <laughs> They got on tonight, actually, and it was really lovely to see. Um, I think the separation, in a way, and this is a bold statement, might be bringing them a bit closer together because they understand that they're in it together. And if one of them, they, I think they can appreciate that they're both feeling that same change or shift in, in behaviour. But then my son really was really amazing because he he said, do you know what, at least you're not arguing anymore. And he's only 12. So I didn't even think we were arguing, but clearly they pick up on tensions and they pick up on, you know, vibes around the house. And and now that we're separated, we're in a much better place, ironically. So they do on the whole get on. However, they both have issues and traumas that sort of bring them up. My, my son's really 
it has learning difficulties. So he, he struggles to articulate his feelings. My daughter is super smart. She is, she has a wicked tongue and she will just speak very quickly and frustrations can happen because he can't articulate what he's thinking and she can instantly. Um, she's also very clingy with me. So gets very jealous if I spend time with him and that can be really hard to navigate. Yeah. It's so interesting to see their own different shapes and personalities kind of become figural. Thanks for illustrating that. Um, you mentioned photography, so we might as well segue into that. Yeah. So you don't just take pictures of babies. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. <laughs> no, no, it's quite a range. And um, what's fun about your job? What what interests you? What drives you there? Like, what's mm -hmm. it like to be you in, in, in <laughs> photographer world? In the photography world, okay. Um, well, I guess... I actually always wanted to be a video editor. That was kind of my, um, I loved movies, I loved films, and that's what I wanted to do. And I fell into photography because my ex wanted to be a photographer and she's very um, impulsive. So it was kind of like, I'm not doing this job anymore. I'm going to be a photographer. Um, so there is destiny again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and to be fair, you know, she did it. She kind of, you know, took the steps accordingly to, to get there. Um, I was merely helping her with, I, I was in a role where I was a video editor, but I was also a graphic designer. So I kind of had some of the skill sets to contribute to that side of things. So while she followed her dream to be a photographer, I would help her with things like websites and some picture editing afterwards. Um, she then started working with a photographer who owned a studio, um, but he actually fell ill. And she called me up and said, could you photograph a wedding tomorrow? <laughs> that was it. And I could I could handle a camera, but I was not a photographer. Anyway, for some insane reason, I said yes. And that was the start of it, really. The, the wedding actually went, just a caveat, that went really well and the family were really happy. But um, that was the start of it. And I, I tried keeping up my own freelance video career, video editing career. And work at the studio at the same time. And then it became too much. And at some point we said, right, if we're going to do this, we're going to go in all in. And that's when we bought, bought the business, remortgaged the house wow. and just went all in with it. And I was always nervous because I felt like all our eggs were in one basket and we should have multiple sources of income. But we just did the opposite and did it anyway. Um, so we both worked as photographers for a long time, both doing weddings and portraits. And then over the years, that actually became really competitive It was a case of we'd both be comparing the weddings that we shot and we'd both be looking at each other's work. And <laughs> that that was difficult. I really struggled with that element of things. I think I would look at hers going, oh, she's so much better than me. Um, and so after Aww. a while, <laughs> we realised that uh, we had different skill sets. She was very organised and meticulous, loves a, loves a graph. So it made more sense that she kind of focused on the business side of things and the sales side of things and basically keeping those things running. Um, I love the creativity. I love the the variety that comes with photo shoots. I love the fact that I don't really know what's going to happen that day. And I've just got to roll with the crazy punches. And I do. Um, and so I became the sole photographer and basically do all the content creation. So all the marketing, social media things, photography and all the editing and then she takes care of the sales and the sort of business admin inside but it's been an evolution and we've had to we've had to fight and learn and adapt and i think that's the the, the strength of our relationship is that we we do work really well together so yeah there's a lot of a lot of positives and i think that's why we lasted so long as we did you know we were able to change it's, it's, it's amazing to hear and in a sense i'm also hearing the passion for creativity and photography 
is, is something organically homegrown essentially it's, it's almost as though it found you rather than yeah 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 100% and I didn't realize that I would love it as much as I did and I didn't realize the fulfillment that it brings um like that buzz that you get when you've had a good shoe or a good shot and for me actually it's the connecting with people that I love more than anything else so I'm I'm a portrait photographer I couldn't do what I do with landscapes I don't get it I don't get things that stay still I need that interaction and what I love is that I um let's take a kid, you know, I will make a funny line or I'll have a conversation with them. And then you just see a spark in their eye that you're like, okay, I've got you. I've found something that you're into and you're passionate about. And you see that shift in their kind of whole energy, which is yeah, very hippie, but you, you see that shift, but then you also see that change in their expression. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want to capture. And then I, I treat shoots really much, much more like an experience. You know, I'll take, if, if we go outside, for example, we're going to play games, we're going to go to different places, we're going to chat. And it's wonderful to see the change in people's personalities you go through. And then my job is just to be in the right place at the right time and capture it. It's, it's funny because there's an incredibly technical side to photography. It's about knowing your f-stops. It's about, you know, knowing the lighting conditions, the angle of the sun. Are we going to go for Rembrandt lighting or whatever you want to call it? Or yes. all these different things, these really technical bitty things that yeah. you can get really distracted by yeah and then you're mentioning people and getting the best out of them where how they want to see themselves is magnified amplified absolutely that is difficult and, and that involves psychology some somewhere some, once read that portrait photography is 80 percent psychology and you better hide that you're doing the technical stuff. Is that something you do? Do you hide yeah. your looks at the display? Do you yeah, do definitely, definitely. And and I think that's the good thing about experience. I don't think about my camera. I don't think about my settings. I just know what to do. I can go out usually outside and know where to start at least. There might be a few tweaks from a technical point of view just to make sure that it's just right. But no, the, the second you start chimping, which is when you look at the back of your camera and <laughs> looking at that. your pictures... It's because it's photographers, they look at the camera, they go, ooh, 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 because they're so excited <laughs> by their picture. It's called chimping. Um, the second you start doing that, you've lost all the connection with the person and it's about them. And this is what I hate sometimes because I do work with other photographers and sort of, you know, we've done some sort of educating over the years. And if you lose that contact with that, that your client and you, that connection, then you've lost the whole thing whilst you have to remember it's about them. It's not about you. It's not about you creating an image. It's about you've been given the the privilege to be in that space where you can capture that person. And so all you need to do is relax them, make sure they're they're having the best experience possible and then capture those moments and their personality because that's what they want. And how do you know how they want to be seen? Because I think that's a really difficult paradigm to, to I guess, navigate. It's a good question. And I don't know how to answer it because it just <laughs> happens. It just ha So some of the shoots that I love doing are with teenagers and we do them a lot for like um, American families because they celebrate photography a lot more, certainly in the teenage years. And what I love is that they come in in two ways. One, they either don't want to be there and they're putting up a real fight or they come in going, I love photography. I love my picture. And they've got this fakeness about them because it's so been pre-rehearsed, usually for social media. Mm. And it just takes a bit of time of conversing with them, finding out what they like, finding out what they don't like, just kind of that whole vibing thing of just trying to find a place where you get on the same level. 
And then when you do that, it's magic. You see a switch in them and I can't even describe it, but it's it's a privilege to be around And when it does happen. For me, I mean, my client are their parents and if they turn around and say, you've captured their personality, I'm like, job done, that's it. Are you saying then, and let me just see if I'm hearing this right, that sometimes our propensity to already have a bit of a posing face actually really gets in the way that that's a real crusty thing to break through psychologically? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me it is because my job is to... Or, or my style and what I promote in the t in in our photography is that it's about capturing natural, authentic expressions, emotions, connections. Especially if you take a family, I don't want them to feel contrived or fake. I want them to interact how they would interact if I wasn't there. Mm. And I think that's worth so much more to people than a picture where they all look at the camera and it feels quite staged or stale or false. Um, and yet nowadays, definitely, I think people are so used to having a persona on social media that they've got angles that they think work for them. They've got, to be honest, I'm terrible at taking selfies because I just don't know how I'm to here. do it. I hate them. <laughs> just don't know how to do it. But I can, I know how to take pictures of other people and I know what angles look good for them. And a big part of that is chatting to people, relaxing them, but then observing them at the same time. And so there's a lot going on. And then forget the technical stuff. You've got to just know that off by heart. <laughs> you need to have automatic competence at that you do. like everybody listening you know just snap away don't do the chimp yeah don't chimping i love that i didn't i didn't know that term yeah. but um I, i guess there's this this interesting thing around weddings as well like you must notice so many things like like the photographer is in a bit bit of a weird position i assume in the sense that you're everywhere you're not really taking part there's like a voyeuristic element to it if you're going to be really like, yeah. really cheeky and you you could you could be witness to quite a lot of drama 100 percent. yeah 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 um i i mean i don't do weddings anymore i i did it for <laughs> too much drama it was too much drama and actually i think the stress of me starting my wedding photography career kind of uh traumatized me slightly so <laughs> um i i did it for a long time and again you're really privileged to be sharing someone's special day But the drama that goes around it is huge and people aren't themselves. They that that bridezilla theory is is so true. Oh, so true. And I think it is this pressure to make it the most perfect day. And it's the pressure that the, the couple put on themselves to please everyone. And that's what I always struggled with. It was a case of they would book myself or my ex or our company in general um, because they like the natural style that we created and the the authenticity to it. And then as the process went on, by the time you meet them a week before their wedding or have a chat with them or something, they're so high stressed. They've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten why they're getting married. And that whole celebration of, of love or, or being a couple kind of goes out the window. It becomes about keeping everyone else happy or throwing the best party ever. So it's a really interesting process. And actually, I never wanted to get married. I We did get married, but I was really against it because of that, because it's about the wedding and the day and it felt contrived and it didn't feel about the 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 marriage it was all about the wedding well that's a perfect segue let's go there how did your wedding fatigue turn into let's get married and what did it look like <laughs> so i didn't want to get married i didn't <laughs> so I, what did you do so oh it sounds so clinical and transactional it's really bad um we decided that if we were going to have kids that we should be married and for you know legal purposes have the same surname so that they could have the same sensible is sexy that's all good <laughs> are you sure it doesn't sound sexy 
I think I think it is. It is. There's so many people out there who are afraid of not having hit the benchmark of mortgage, house, car, family, marriage, crap, what all that stuff. And I always wonder why these benchmarks are there. Yeah. But here's somebody who's lived it. Yeah, I've hit all those benchmarks. Yeah, um, you're so successful. <laughs> By those standards. <laughs> by those standards. I was going to say, I do not judge success by any of those benchmarks. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want, I, I didn't want to get married, but actually I realised I didn't want a wedding. I didn't want it to be about me. I didn't want it to be about everyone else. I didn't want the stress of it all. Um, there is some frictions around our families. Uh, I'm from a large, close family. Um, my ex is from a slightly more unaccepting family. And... We just realised that we'd have to give up our special day. And I'm using inverted commas. I don't know why, because we're on a podcast. But um, <laughs> our special day in it, we knew for well it was going to be their special day. It was going to be about everyone else. And we'd seen it so many times that that's not what we wanted. So um, my ex decided that if there was any way she was going to get me to agree to a wedding, um, it would have to be like the best thing for me. So we decided to elope to Canada, where we uh, lived for a while, where we went traveling. We had two best friends out there and they were going to be our uh, witnesses. We got a registrar who was such a kick-ass registrar. She she actually called up and said, can I bring a friend? Because I've never met you before and it's, you know, safety and all that. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so there was the six of us and we were supposed to uh, originally get snowmobiles to our wedding space, which was in a national park in Canada in the winter because I kind of so love cool. snow. It was, it was pretty so cool. Say, so, cool. Um, so we we're going to arrive on snowmobiles, do the wedding bit. And we found this great spot that overlooked, you know, the park and it was kind of on, on a cliff and it was it was just awesome. Um, anyway, we got a call the week before saying that for the first time ever, there's not enough snow in this part of the country to have snowmobiles. We're like, that's fine. Plan B, my, my ex is a planner. So plan B was quad bikes. And they're like, I'm sorry, there's too much snow for quad bikes. And we're like, okay, so what can we do? And the registrar was like, well, my son's got a couple of sledges. Should I just bring them along? We're like, yes, yes, let's do that. So there's some brilliant photos that w that the friend of the registrar took because we basically crash coursed her in photography on the walk up to this, this, That's this mountain point. <laughs> um, and there's some brilliant photos where the myself and uh, my ex are on, on a sledge. My, our two witnesses are on a sledge and we're all going down this, this hill afterwards. And there's also a brilliant one of the registrar and her friend with her briefcase between her knees going down a sledge after our wedding day. That, that is amazing. And I, I've been lucky enough to see those photos. <laughs> it's, it's epic. It's, it's random and it's crazy. And it's exactly what it was because, yeah, we put in a plan, but the plan went out the window. But there was no stress because it was like, you know, yeah. It, it this it, that's not what this is about this is just about us getting married and enjoying ourselves and then we went um snowboarding for two weeks in uh the west of canada and like uh, banff and whistler okay stop it now i don't want to hear it yeah i know rub that bit in that, but th that, that part we're just that was my it. bit that was the bit that got me to say yes and i do <laughs> actually no we need to expand on that bit then if it was a need we need to really expand on that. well done <laughs> no it worked so yeah got married and yeah i don't regret a thing wonderful well, it's it's so nice to kind of get it inside into that. And I, I guess what's it like to even talk about it now that we're at the other side of a huge chapter in your life? Like, yeah, does it feel OK? Or it does. Kind of Do you know, I'm in a really good place. I'm in a really good place because it again, I'm kind of feeling like it was all supposed to happen the way it did. 
Mm. And um, don't get me wrong, it's been hard. It's been really hard to come to grips with things. And there there were big moments where I I kind of like wanted to put my foot on the brakes and say, no, I will change. Let's put this all back to normal. I, you know, whatever you want, I will do. And then I'd kind of have to take that moment of your people pleasing again. You're putting yourself aside and I don't know, you're not doing the right thing. And actually now that we're able to continue our lives, still putting our kids first, remain really amicable. We're now each other's best friends. We're still running a company together and we're just now, you know, refinding ourselves. It's a really cool place to be. Yeah. Who are you finding? Do you have an idea? No. <laughs> no, lots of bedlam, lots of uh, randomness, but I'm enjoying it. I really am. And actually what I'm finding is that I don't know who I am or what I want, but I'm learning what I don't want. And actually that comes through making mistakes. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I think when we got to know each other, I kind of posed these three questions to you and said, full credit to Alan Watts there. You know, these three questions that can really trip you over to the point of insanity. Who am I? What do I know? What do I want? Yeah. I'm still chewing on them every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we'll ever arrive there. Yeah. So we spoke for hours when I was on a work trip in Vegas and I just kept cycling them over and over my head. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I, it was fun though, because I, I came up with a different answer like all the time. And yeah. and then the answer was, I have no idea for all of them. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm I'm really privileged to be in a place where I can at least look for those answers and figure it out. And it's it's really exciting. Yeah, I, I think it's... it's um this classic thing of a huge new chapter is about to be turned probably for both of us mm -hmm. in many different ways. And there's an excitement in me sometimes when I think about these three questions, because I also chew on them yeah. and I answer them differently every day. But increasingly I notice that in the past I would have answered through a different lens mm. and it's maybe not so much the actual answers. It's mm. just the lens through which we see these questions. That, that is the thing. Yeah. And, um, How exciting. Yeah. I mean, have you have you kind of dipped back into the dating world? Like, what's your relationship <laughs> to dating apps and stuff like that? Because I'm, I'm staunchly against them for myself. I, I just can't imagine. It's a really wise idea. So, <laughs> really? <sighs> so dating apps. So dating apps for me was a knee-jerk reaction because my ex was on them whilst we were still living together. So this was like the, the keeping up appearances phase. She was Hold on, the competitive spirit still prevails then, basically. 100%. I mean, yeah, we've always been competitive and we've, we've always been so similar. And to the point where, you know, someone would ask you a question about your life and I would start answering it and she would finish it. And I think over time, the same would happen vice versa as well, mm. because we were just one and the same. So I think when, when you lose that and she was on the dating apps and so desperate to, you know, feel, I think, desired again. Yeah. And I think that's probably where it comes back to, you know, lesbian bed death. Um, I don't know. She, it, it made me think, well, hold on, that's what I should be doing or need to be doing. Or I, d I don't know what my theory was, but I jumped straight on them. Um, yeah. Mixed bag. To be honest, I, I don't think I did it properly. I, How do you do that properly? I, well, so there were some days where I would be very conscientious and considerate and, and looking through profiles properly and then there's other days that I was just like a constant left swiper and a constant right swiper <laughs> it was just not it was not even serious in my head so yeah I, you know I've actually made friends from dating apps so I think for that but when I 
before when I was single last, I would go to lesbian bars. I would go to a gay bar. I mean, I worked at a gay bar throughout my uni years, and mm. it was such an amazing space. And now I realise how unique it was that you could just walk in and you could make friends with someone and you were completely accepted and you knew that it was a space that you could be safe in to to say I'm gay and I'm looking for someone or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And now it doesn't feel that way anymore. It's like you, you, you need to go to a specific event on a certain night at a certain place or you go on dating apps. There's just an insincerity to dating apps that I don't quite get. Maybe I'm I'm a romantic at heart, but I like the idea of meeting somebody just organically. I don't like my life plastic. I like it organic. Yeah, no, and I'm that's with just you. the way it is. Yeah, and I also don't like the idea of portraying myself. And I, I think we were talking about photography. Like the, mm. the thought of even just taking a picture for a dating app or selecting one just fills me with horror. Absolutely. And I've made some friends from dating apps, and and the general feedback is how insincere the photos are. Or you'll meet someone, it's like you don't look at all that way. <laughs> and actually, a new business idea is to to promote professional photography for dating apps go for it yeah. i've been thinking that yeah i think that yeah yeah you come on to something there let's do it yeah let's start a new company and uh, do it yeah let's do it <laughs> up your dating app photo or something like that exactly. i don't know exactly yeah. yeah make sure you're not trying to fool people with a 10 year old photo of yourself yeah you can have like the, even like a label on it yeah authenticated by a proper photographer absolutely with a timestamp. <laughs> yeah no ai involved yeah oh yeah let's not get down that route but yeah i, I don't know i think i don't know how would you meet someone nowadays if you were oh I'm retired I'm retired I'm done (laughs) but still it it just I guess you know I I didn't know any other way I really didn't know how you how you meet people I I did I did go to some social events and that was specifically aimed around you know LGBTQ uh, people yeah Um, how we met exactly how we met um but they're kind of few and far between it's 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 sort of sad that i guess i was so fortunate to work at a pub where it was open every day this Mm -hmm. is a space that you can go and a lot of people would just turn up on their own going yeah i've had a rubbish day i just want to sit and have a chat and i was a barmaid so i was totally the (laughs) the person i'm like come on then tell us your problems let me get you interesting to say that you're like the person counseling people behind the bar rather than usually i'd associate the barmaid as you call it right i guess as the, the magnet Perhaps. Didn't you get a lot of offers? No, not at all. Oh my God. I feel so ashamed that I actually worked in the bar for like three years and I don't think anyone. Let me rephrase this. How acutely aware are you of offers in general? (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been told I am slightly dense, but you know, (laughs) who who knows? No, I I genuinely don't recall any, any offers. So yeah. 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 Well, perspective is a thing, (laughs) but yeah, It's, 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 it's a good question. I mean, I, th- I think for, for many people, I think there's maybe sometimes also an urge to kind of jump right back into the game. And I think I've certainly done that in the past plenty of times. But for me right now, there's this real sense of let's do things differently. Mm. Like when I say retired, I know it sounds a little bit flippant, but it's, it's more of a conscious thing of what's it actually like to fill this space yeah. and, and, and experience my singleness yeah. and, and put all my effort into business yeah. work self-improvement all that sort of stuff yeah definitely and I've, I've come to realize that I've, I've got a skewed relationship to friendship I would have never uncovered that if I had made if I hadn't made the con- conscious decision to mm. make space for friendship mm. no, like, definitely. my relationship to friendship is so different now so yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I was chatting to a friend of mine actually out in Canada and, and she's 
she's not a single mum. She's married, but her husband travels so much she feels like a single mum. And the thing that she was saying she really misses in her life is deep connections with people where you're like, mm. tell me your problems or tell me what's going on in your life and let me get to know you, the real you. And I said, actually, I'm finding that at the moment. And she's saying, how? And I was like, through dates. And I'm not necessarily going into it for a relationship by any means, but to connect to someone on a really deep level, which is something that I feel like I've missed for a really long time. Actually, going on dates, you've almost been given the space where it's like, I really want to get to know you and you can ask deep questions. And... (laughs) Yeah. If it's the right person, they're happy to answer those questions and, or, and, and and vice versa. And you can talk about yourself and it's almost like you need that. But just for friends, you almost need apps where you can say, <laughs> I just want to be a really close friend with someone and have a really deep connection. And it, I don't know, for me, it's not preconceived by anything else because I really don't know what I want. But I am really enjoying getting to know people. And like I say, those I guess those deep connections where it's... You, you just find out about people and you learn so much about yourself through doing that as well. So that's what's exciting at the moment. And it's it's a mutual thing, right? Having people want to get to know you is just as important yeah. as an experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes people will ask you a question, you're like, I've never thought of that before or, you know, and, and really what I'm realising that is life is just one different perspectives. That's all it is. It's just everyone's got just a different opinion and a different perspective. And as long as you take it the right way um, or it's offered in the right way, you can learn so much. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's one of the things I've really appreciated about you, getting to know you, your curiosity. It's, it's certainly been enriching. I've learned a lot too. Likewise. We do gas for quite a long time. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, what people don't know is there has been a pre-discussion to this recording already. We had to get all the pent-up... <laughs> deep chats out of the way we did yeah yeah we were saying our lives changed like really <laughs> rapidly so it's like well how much up to speed are you oh yeah loads has changed yeah. since then yeah even, it's, it's, even like a few days it's a vortex of change at the moment but isn't it funny because you can be in a relationship for years on end and it feels stagnant after one you you feel like years go by and nothing happens and then now i'm at the space where weeks go by and it feels like years have happened yeah it is so rapid now it's, it's wonderful, but but sometimes I, I just wish I had a cup of tea and just, you know, make it stop. Yeah, yeah. I um, had this conversation with my ex just before I came here. We've got so much more to talk about and she's the person that I can call when I've got problems um, and vice versa. And we've got so much more to talk about than we ever have. But even tonight, I was like, I kind of want to go back to that comfortable prison just for a little <laughs> bit because there is just so much going on right now that my head is is ready to explode. So yeah careful what you wish for <laughs> yeah well i guess I, I would not be kind of following the tradition of the podcast if i didn't ask you one question which is if you could have a lesbian affair who would it be and why that's so hard do you know who always pops into my head and that is angelina jolie i don't really? know why i've got such red flags with her yeah you're probably right you're probably right i just i mean sorry angelina i, I hope you're not listening yeah yeah she might do. You might have just blown my chances as well. No, I've just blown mine. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why. I think a uh, complex individual, I think you're probably right about the red flags, but I think there's a lot of good there and I think she's hot. 
Okay, and she has the adoption experience, I guess. True, true, yeah. yeah. Shared things. And actually, um, my dad, who's no longer with us, he was a heating engineer. And he, um, when I lived in Canada, he called me up and he said, I kept Angelina Jolie warm last night. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> what? what you been up to? And he just happened to fix her boiler um, no. when she was living in the UK filming Tomb Raider. And no so way. I think there's, yeah, there's just a connection there. Wow. This is officially three degrees of separation from Angelina yeah, Jolie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I could probably dig up her assistant's number and be that step closer. Yeah. Ask for the serial number of her boiler because <laughs> some serious maintenance has come up. Exactly. I, I'm not qualified, but I'll have a look. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, you come up with these terms. I didn't see that one coming. Angelina Jolie, I see. Well, a bit random. To be honest, you could ask me that same question in 10 minutes time and you'll get a different answer. But that's okay. the one that popped in. Who is it now? All right. <laughs> No, still Angelina. Okay. Deep love there. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, she did. Um, didn't she play Gia in yes. the, the biopic on on the yeah model? You say, didn't she? Are you telling me you haven't seen it? I have seen it. Okay, I good. was more obsessed with Gia Karanji herself. Ah. See, this is and she was also you know a, a complex person. Yeah, I very complex. I, I could see that being our problem actually. Is the people we're drawn to. <laughs> It's okay. It's in the past. As I said, I'm retired. <laughs> oh, yeah. of course, that bit. Oh, chestnut. Yeah, that's okay. You can have Angelina Jolie, and I'll, I'll revisit my um, relationship to Gia Karanji and, and yeah. really figure out what was going on there for me. Who Who would yours be then? Well, I've been asked that one before, and it changes all the time. And right now, I'm drawing a blank. Actually, no. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to go with Shania Twain. Shut up. Yeah. Did not see that coming. No, okay. I think she's a beautiful soul. Yeah. Even, even now, like, I, I just want her to be my friend because I'm obviously celibate now, but um, yeah. Shania Twain. Okay. All the way. Actually, her name is Eileen Twain. There you go. We know each other personally like that Exactly. Now. Look at that, you know, more more than I know. So that that's really <laughs> impressive. No, she does seem cool. I'm Okay, I'm with you there. That's fine. Yeah, I don't want you to be with me there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I could be there with a the camera. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's just got weird. No, no, no. It's like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you so much hannah <laughs> i have a feeling <laughs> we're gonna cut that last bit right <laughs> no we won't <laughs> this is the best part we won't Just cut this <laughs> well everybody thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this episode um yeah there will be one more episode which will be my goodbye from the podcast because i'm off to do different things and uh, i also want to give a shout out to a very special organization which is called kenrick i was lucky enough to record a podcast episode just before my life went cataclysmic on me um and yeah apologies the episode never aired but it's a lovely bunch of women who really care about the lesbian community go and look it up uh kenrick itself is a uk-based organization and if you ever feel alone or if you feel like you'd like to branch out and meet more lesbians that's your place to be so um i'm going to post a link in the description and a heartfelt thank you to everybody from kenrick and sorry for not making it for um messing up your episode which was recorded in february last year so we really have missed the sell-by date by now and that's totally on me so yeah anyway thanks for listening and i'll see you next time